everybody, welcome back to the Way of Ramen podcast. In today's episode, we're talking with David Chan, also known as Nichijou Ramen on the internet. An engineer by day and a ramen chef by night, David began his ramen journey over 15 years ago after discovering his first bowl of real ramen in New York City. Inspired by the experience, he began experimenting and publishing his ramen recipes on his blog, nichijou.net. Through his blog and through social media, he built a large following of fellow ramen nerds, and his passion for making ramen caught the attention of Sun Noodle, who invited David to do a pop-up at their famous ramen lab in New York City. Now, when I first started posting ramen content online, David was one of the first people to reach out to me, and he was so kind and he was so helpful. You know, I really think he's a great representation of the ramen community around the world. So without further ado, here's David Chan, a.k.a. Nichijou Ramen. So I guess I'll just get started. So thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Okay, so I guess if you could start off by giving a little bit of your backstory and how you got into making ramen, that would be really cool. I, I would like to hear that story. Uh, sure. So I'm David Chan of Nichijou Ramen, and I guess I started a ramen Instagram food blog. And this all started, I guess, first when I first discovered ramen um, back when I was in high school, maybe 15 years ago. Um, I had my first bowl of authentic fresh ramen in New York. And coming back to my hometown of Sacramento, there weren't many ramen shops. Um, so just out of necessity, because I fell in love with ramen, I wanted to recreate um, this dish so I had access to it. Um, so it's, it's oh, a slow ahead. process. I'm, yeah, but I essentially yeah, just started, found whatever recipe I could find online and went with it. But um, my first 20 times, it, they all kind of failed. It all was horrible, but I kept kept at it. Crazy. What was the ramen shop in New York? What was it called? So this shop was called... Um, Let's see. I think it was Yokocho Alley. Okay. So it was more of like an izakaya place that my sister took me to. Um, so it actually is my first time having like yakitori, oh. uh, ramen. They even had Korean food. So it was my first time eating bibimbap as well. So oh, nice. my mind was open to all these different cuisines. Because growing up in Sacramento, at least back then, it was a small town. So um, with my family, we either ate in, had Chinese food, or went to like chain restaurants like um <laughs> olive garden or whatever so i yeah, yeah. my exposure to different cultures were very limited oh uh, i see i see oh so so what year was that like because you know it seems like ramen has gotten a little bit more popular within the last you know five to six years i would say so what year was that that you were first trying to make your first bowls of ramen so i guess i probably tried um around 2006 2007 wow that's like and really I guess, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it was a slow process because I made ramen like initially maybe once a year and then it became twice a year. And then eventually as it got better, I made it every month, every week. And then wow. now sometimes every other day. Was it similar for you? Like for me personally, what kind of got me, got me like hooked into like trying to make ramen was the first time was absolutely terrible, like almost inedible. And that, that process of like, man, if I thought I was pretty good at making stuff and this came out this bad, you know, I wanted to just keep going. Was it kind of similar for you? Cause you kind of said, you know, your first 20 bowls or whatever. Yeah, it was, it was very similar. Um, I guess I had to, yeah, I had a lot of failures, but it, there's a lot of, like each bowl had its own, um, pro to it. So like my oh. first bowl, it, I made tonkotsu ramen and it was very visually, Tokotsu ramen, like, had the milky white yeah. um, color. 
Um, so the funny story is the first time I made ramen, I had my sister help me finish, do the finishing touches. So the recipe I had is said, add salt at the end, because mm-hmm. um, you pretty much don't salt the broth until the very last moment. Uh-huh. And so they literally said, like, I think it's like maybe two tablespoons of salt or something that sounds ridiculous. Uh-huh. But because there's no salt in the broth, um, it really needs that, that amount of salt. Mm-hmm. So my sister, she only put half the amount of salt because she's like, that's way too much. It has to be healthy. And um, so I learned the hard way. I, um, I was the last person to eat because I thought it was just it was respectful to serve everyone else first. <laughs> and it wasn't until I had my own bowl where I realized it's way, t- it's way undersalted. Um, you can't even taste anything. It essentially tastes like porky soup water, yeah. porky water. That's like and almost so I, the I, exact experience that I had the first time I made tonglutsu ramen, which is my first time I actually tried to make ramen too. It's like right. almost identical. So like, yeah, yeah. And so my family, they're like being nice about it when they were eating and like, oh, this is pretty good. But I, I mean, after trying it myself, I just knew that it was complete fa- fail. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so now it's always, I always do a test bowl before I serve anybody, uh-huh. which is a good practice to have uh-huh. in general. Man, that's cool. that's super cool. So actually what happened was we put this, the, I was going to interview out on Instagram and I got a lot of questions from people on Instagram. So what I'm going to do is just kind of ask, I kind of took all of their questions and ordered them in a, what I thought was a more logical order because sure. they're like all over the place. And so I kind of grouped them into like these groups because they're, they're really great questions. So I just, I guess I'll just get started with these questions now. So the picky ramen lover asked, what are your influence? What or sorry about that. What influences your passion for ramen? I guess you kind of got into that, but what now, I guess, influences your passion for it? So I guess, um, it, I guess it's, I've always had wanted like an artistic outlet. So ever since growing up, um, I started off liking, wanting to draw comics and I got into music um, and oh, a bunch of different art forms. But I guess being an adult, I don't have as much free time to have that artistic outlet. So um, cooking is something where you have to do every day to survive or essentially eat. So I, I think for me, what keeps me going is, first of all, I, I just need to have this outlet from my everyday work life of um, being an engineer. I just want to have something to get rid of the stress. Um, and then also just kind of getting really into the craft as I got better at making ramen. Um, you kind of see, I guess, the artistic nature of ramen and how you want to perfect it. I guess what us ramen nerds love is just um, the never ending pursuit of making the perfect bowl of ramen. (laughs) Yeah. It's like every time you can kind of like nitpick something like, man, I wish I think I could do this and it might make it just like a little bit better, you know, pretty much every single bowl. Right. And I think there's just, there's almost, well, for me, infinite, perfect bowls out there yeah because i mean everybody has their own style so if five chefs make um a shoyu ramen there'll be five different types of shoyu ramens or they're all going to taste different yeah and so uh, just kind of figuring out those nuances um i think just the thirst of knowledge also gives me that drive um Mm -hmm. i guess being an engineer i want to know like why this happens why i need to do this and i i mean i have hundreds of questions that I want to run like experiments on and just kind of figure out what's like the optimal way yeah. of doing things. That's cool. 
So um, Ramen Zach asks, what is your favorite style of ramen? So following that up, like, what are you, what's your favorite style of to make, I guess? Or to, yeah, so you can I, do to make and to eat. If, or if it's the same, then that's cool, too. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. Um, I My favorite style now is shio ramen. Um, so it, it's kind of funny how it, I got into that style because I wanted to start with something that I thought was the most basic um, ramen because shio to me it's like salt sounds like mm-hmm. the most basic flavor ever but um so but because the broth is clear the flavor is very subtle um it really shows any flaws in your bowl so if you have if there's an off putting taste like you can really identify that and so um what started off as something that i thought was easy was actually probably one of the more most challenging bowls to tackle first um so I mean, I love it for this, those same reasons that it's very transparent and you can, um, if it's done very well, you can taste all the different nuances of the bowl. So it's more, wow. instead of just like one flat flavor, because I, I know um, a lot of places, at least in America, they have a lot of like tonkotsu ramen where it's just mm-hmm. one flavor po- profile, just very mm-hmm. thick and creamy, but you can't really taste um, like all the different layers of ramen. Mm-hmm. I kind of find that like interesting because it seems like a lot of the more like, well, I don't know how to say it's like people who have been making ramen for a long time, they tell they generally tend to, to gravitate towards shio and shoyu ramen, even if they started with tonkotsu, because I think what it is, is tonkotsu, you can kind of hide behind the makeup a, a little bit, I feel, you know, because the, right. the, the mouthfeel of the broth is really nice and you have these nice flavors, but you can't really hide behind anything with shoyu and shio, you know, you can taste everything. So it's really yeah, cool. Yeah, I, think, I, I kind of figured like, that it was something like that for you. Yeah. And like to Kota ramen, I mean, that's what was my gateway drug to ramen. That was mm-hmm. like the first bowl I ever had. And I think it really resonates with Americans. I guess there's this uh, stereotype that Americans love like fatty foods, uh-huh. like um, they're associated with like McDonald's or <laughs> large portions. And so Tonkotsu kind of checks all those boxes. It's like very fatty, rich and strong flavors. And so as you, I guess, outgrow it, you start to gravitate towards maybe the more complicated, complex uh-huh. bowls. And I feel like you can maybe express yourself a little bit more with the ones that you can't hide behind, you know, because it's 100% you. You're not hiding behind yeah, exactly. anything, you know. That's awesome. Right. Yeah, I, I thought I thought you were a shoyu guy because I always see you serving shoyu in your pop-ups. That, that is, uh, yeah, it's something more recent. Like, I guess for my first pop-up, I wanted to only do shio, but uh-huh. I did a... Um, vegan show you just out of necessity because uh-huh. um, I wanted a vegetarian option. And more recently, I've just been getting into the world of show you just to try and perfect that type of ramen. Uh-huh. And so um, probably in the next month, I'm going to move on to miso. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, so I actually have a whole section on pop-ups, so we'll get there. We'll get to those. Okay. Yeah, so so Food Dude asks, um, how do you, or what did he say? Do you know, or I guess, have you figured out any recipes from big name ramen re- restaurants? I guess what he's asking is like, if you've deconstructed, you know, some famous restaurants, bowls and been able to recreate that properly. Yeah, I guess. Um, and that kind of goes into what I said before, how you can have five chefs try and make the same type and it will taste different. I've tried mm-hmm. making like Ivan Ramen's um, bowl and uh-huh. I actually haven't had a chance to taste the original. So I have uh-huh. no um, point of reference, but um, it, I think I've just been so caught up in trying to f- 
figure out what makes a good bowl that I haven't really been trying to imitate mm-hmm. um, other recipes. I, I, I have tried making a bowl from a restaurant called Kikanbo in yeah, Japan. Yeah. So it's like a spicy uh, karashibi, like the numbing spice mm-hmm. ramen. And so, I mean, I actually have a recipe from, I think it was their dipping ramen. Um, so I just kind of used or reversed engineered or tried to me- recreate their um, tonkotsu mm-hmm. miso style version. Cool. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, I, I mean, especially too, like in in America, you can't really get all the ingredients that they have in Japan too. So your best yeah. re- recreation is like your best shot at it, but it's still going to taste different. Cool. Right, right. So you you have a lot of like original recipes on your website. So like what in, um Preston Landers asks, what inspires your unique recipes? I think it's um what inspires my unique recipes. I guess I want to I always want to be creative or try like new things. Um like I guess I have a lot of random ideas that I write down random or in my phone. Um and so a lot of the ideas just come from when I'm I always, when I used to take the train to work, I used to just um, think about ramen the whole train ride and <laughs> jot down whatever ideas I had. So um, it's kind of like I eat like a really good dish. So for example, I made like a, a French beef stew with where they use like beef and uh, red wine is very rich. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how can I make this into ramen? So um, I guess that's, I'm always asking myself, how can I turn this into ramen? Uh, and so I, cool. I added, yeah, I added miso to that because I figured miso, it's kind of like rich, earthy, which kind of goes with beef and wine, red wine. Mm-hmm. And it turned into really good miso ramen. Oh, cool. So I, I think it's just, um, I mean, the whole thing, like for Nichijou ramen, like Nichijou is like every day. So mm-hmm. I'm just always thinking about ramen <laughs> and I'm always thinking about how can I turn something else into ramen? Yeah. And so really I, I think cool. um, part of it is, yeah, like I'm looking at um, when I look at recipe books just of other cuisines, I'm always just saying, okay, how can I use this t- technique in ramen, or how can I use these spices in ramen? And I feel like ironically that that's like very ramen-ish because you know a lot of the newer ramen shops in Japan are doing exactly that. You know, like how can we make green curry ramen, or how can we make this basil ramen, or all these kind of like they're taking like different cuisines and bringing it into the ramen world. So it's actually like what you're doing is exactly what they're doing in japan it seems like yeah and i i think it's i think with any cuisine you kind of just take on the influences around you and i i think the challenging part is just making sure that you don't lose the ramen identity in your dish that Mm -hmm. if you still eat it it's like yeah it tastes like this beef stew or this green curry but at the same time it still reminds you of ramen yeah you don't want to be eating beef stew with ramen noodles in it you want to be ramen with yeah that tastes like beef stew Really cool. Right. Okay. Oh, and uh, segueing into this question. So LL Cool DJ One asks, or asks, he says, ask him about your, your stuffing noodles for Thanksgiving. I don't know what that <laughs> means, but there's yeah, a story um, there. Yeah. We're, we're, well, so every year, I guess this is my third year. I'm um, after Thanksgiving, turkeys go on sale. So I grab a turkey and I try and make uh, Thanksgiving ramen. Uh-huh. So um, this year, I want to try and make, um, noodles out or that tastes like stuffing so um, <laughs> just because i mean there's like a few ideas we were joking around how we would actually put the noodles and stuff the turkey so yeah, the noodles yeah. would go in the cavity and then it absorbs some of the juices but uh-huh. um, that's probably not optimal i'd probably just 
maybe toast some flour, um, add some herbs like sage or whatever, just mm-hmm. to get that stuffing taste. And then um, we'll, we'll see how, how it goes. I'm, I'm kind of excited to make some noodles. <laughs> <laughs> you just get like some stove top and add kansui to it and then knead that up. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I figure like I can use that. Probably I'd like make use like ten percent stovetop, like <laughs> ground up the powder, yeah. and then have some fresh flour to kind of build up the gluten. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, let me know how that comes out or post it on Instagram and yeah. we'll check it out. Yeah, definitely. So, so um, continuing with like the ramen making questions, affectionately Quinn asks or she says she needs help making broth. If you have any tips for that, I guess just general tips on broth making. Yeah, so um, I mean, broth, I, I always like to keep it as simple as possible. Um, I guess when you're making like a meat broth, you have a few different types of body parts. You have, or I categorize it as meat. Um, you have connective tissue and um, skin and bones. So like the meat has a lot of flavor, but not a lot of collagen or gelatin. Um, like the fattier cuts, like the thighs or... Um, like the feet will have more gelatin and uh, collagen, which will give it more of a mouthfeel, but it doesn't really have much flavor. And then bones is kind of like a mix. You get some flavor, you get some mouthfeel. So it's all about a balance. But I think starting out, I just, I keep it simple. I just use um, one whole chicken. And so I um, take out the breast because I use that for a topping, but then I throw the rest of it into a pot. So you get a little bit of meat, you get a little bit of bones, and you get a little bit of the um, like skin and um, and fatty pieces. Do you break and down so the chicken, I, or are you just putting the chicken in whole? I break it down just so you um, get more of the scum to rise out. And oh, I see. Um, so, I mean, if you want to make the most basic broth, you just use um, a whole chicken, cut it, cut it up, and I would um, simmer it. Just well, first you bring it to a boil, scrape the scum. And then uh, reduce the heat so it's at the point where it's just about to bubble. That's probably about like 180 degrees. And then just let it sit there for six hours and um, throw in some, throw in one one uh, bulb of garlic and one onion, and that'll be, give you like a little more aromatic flavors. And yeah, strain that, and you yep, uh, liquid gold. Sounds pretty solid to me. What's your, oh, this is my question. I'm just curious. Like, how do you deal with like the fat on that? Do you leave it in there? The, you know, the layer of kind of oil that comes up when you do a chicken, do you take that out and use that separately or do you kind of just leave it all together? Um, I always separate it. So um, usually I make it the day before. So I just um, chill it and just um, scrape it off when it's solidified. So you can use that as a aroma oil or whatever. Very cool. Okay, so let's get into like the, the pop-up related questions. Cause actually I'm one of my goals is to be able to do a pop-up one day, like get good enough to get there. So like when people started asking pop-up questions, I was like, yes, this is what I was gonna ask anyway. So backyard yeah. backyard ramen asks, how did you get started doing pop-ups? Yeah, so um part of it was I started doing dinner parties just for friends and I kind of wanted to branch out and open it up to the public. Um so my first pop-up was actually in New York City at Ramen Lab. And that wow. kind of um, is kind of like trial by fire. Like I just <laughs> got thrown into it. Um, so back in, the, I guess, a few years ago um, on Instagram, uh, Sun Noodle reached out to me. So they own 
uh, Ramen Lab in New York City. And uh, Ramen Lab, for those who don't know, it's kind of it's a restaurant where they have uh, rotating chefs, so it's like a pop up restaurant. So every month or two, they have a new chef from all over the world. So it'd be from Japan, from Europe, or America. Um, so at the time, I guess Sun Noodle, they wanted to, um, I guess, develop or improve their retail version of their product uh, that's offered in supermarkets. So um, Ken Shiro, who's the VP of Sun Noodle, he reached out to me and asked, um, what improvements can they make? And I just told him, to be honest, I don't buy noodles right now. I, I make my own. Um, can you, like, like for me, I would want all the like fancy flowers from Japan. But business-wise, that doesn't really make sense for them to provide flour because they're in the noodle business. Uh-huh. And so he's um, said, well, since you make your ramen, like, have you considered um, coming out or doing a pop-up? Like, maybe you can be a guest chef at our restaurant. Mm. And so... Um, that's how I got started is, is very, I guess the whole time I was kind of in awe because, um, when ramen lot first came out, that was my 10, 15 year goal, 15 year goal, just to be able to cook at ramen lab. And, um, after like a few years of seriously making ramen, like I was just, I was, I was very confused. Um, but, um, I didn't want to miss my shot at doing a pop-up there. So I just, um, I told my initially I thought I, I would be able to do pop up um, in my hometown, Sacramento, before uh-huh. uh, Ramen Lab, but um, I just didn't have time and I just went big on my first <laughs> That's try. So crazy. So, like, what was the the average size of like the dinner parties you were hosting before you went to Ramen Lab? Yeah, um, so it's like five to ten people, um, just whatever I could fit in my small apartment at the time. And how many bowls did you serve at Ramen Lab? At Ramen Lab, I served um, like about 100, 100 120 a day. So you went from 10 to 120. Right. (laughs) It's pretty crazy. And so, yeah, it was very intense. Um, I mean, as an engineer, I just create a bunch of spreadsheets and just try and figure out what could possibly go wrong and try and um, remedy those things before even going or before cooking and serving ramen. How did you scale your recipes up to that, you know, to make that much broth and to make that much toppings? Like aren't toppings, I guess, not that big a deal, but the broth, you know, like how did you calculate how to scale that up? Uh, I mean, the broth, I I think is actually the easiest part for me. um, Cause I just, I just assume um, I add double the water of, uh, by weight of the bones. Uh And then I, figure out, okay, each bowl needs, um, 350 milliliters per bowl. Uh-huh. So I, I just multiply that times 120 and then I add in a little safety factor to account for like evaporation uh-huh. and, um, and then just figure out how many bones I need. And part of it is also determined on, um, what quantity is available by the distributors because it comes in like 30 pound increments. Uh, the bones, the bones come in 30 pound increments. You just kind of have to um, figure out what's the closest increment. And then I'm, sometimes you might have a little extra soup. Oh, and it's always good to go over than under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, how, what about like the aromatics that you put in? Like, are, do you have like a ratio for that too? Like the bones and water, I've heard of that before, but I haven't really heard like a ratio for the aromatics, like any kind of aromatics you throw in. Like, how did you scale those up? Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't, I guess the only rule of thumb that I have is like, 
per chicken, I throw in one onion and one bulb of garlic. <laughs> okay. So I just kind of, yeah, um, extrapolated that and just said, okay, I have to put in um, 10 onions and like t- 10 bulbs of garlic. Okay, cool. Taking- I, I think aromatics are very, like, it's important to have, but it's also very hard to, um, like, go under or over. Like, there's a good <sighs> tolerance yeah, yeah, I, I feel like well, again in Japanese they call it komiyasai, which is like aromatic vegetables. You know, not, they don't oh, even okay, consider yeah. it like a main part of the soup. They're just using it to like cut down some of the harsh smells. I guess that's what they're using mm-hmm. it for. So that makes yeah. a lot of sense, actually. Cool. So Ben Ramen eighty eight asks, when will your next pop up be? Um. So my next pop up, I have a well, I have two in mind. Um. So. I am actually in a book called Ramen Forever that's mm-hmm. coming out. Um, so it's a book that showcases artists um, who, I guess, draw ramen or create ramen in their art style. So it's mm-hmm. like an art, art book slash um, interviewing important people in ramen. So um, there's other people like um, Keizo who um, opened uh, Ramen Shack or also known as uh, also known for his um, noodles and ramen burger. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, it's, um, so w- there's going to be a launch party, and I potentially might do a pop up then um, for nice. that book. But otherwise, I am also. Um, this is something that I just, just uh, I guess, determined this past weekend. I'm partnering up with a sushi chef, that local sushi chef uh, Yoshi in Sacramento, and um, a youtube uh chef sun kyung longest mm-hmm. um so we're gonna just do a uh fancy dinner party at a um i guess it's a, a plant shop so it's very 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 hip very <laughs> um modern i guess yeah so um i'm not sure how that's gonna turn out because we have three different styles yeah, yeah. but um but besides cool. that, I, I'm probably not going to do like large scale pop ups for uh-huh. um, the next month or so. You just did one at like um, I just saw on Instagram. I saw on Instagram you just did one like a week or two ago, right? Like for like a fundraiser kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I got to know some Japanese food distributors, and they teach Japanese um, on the weekends. And so we did a fundraiser for their, the Japanese language school at oh, a, a local Buddhist church. I see. How many bowls did you do for that one? Um, we s- sold about like 220 bowls. That's, that's amazing. Like, how do you, yeah. like, w- I, this is like all selfish questions for me now. Like, how do you like put out that, that, that many bowls? Like, do you guys have like a process of like, or you have helpers helping you and like, like, what do you, how do you do that? Like, <laughs> I'm just curious. I don't have no idea. Like on, in Hawaii we have, or where I live, there's a famous Simon shop, which is basically like Hawaii's version of ramen. And they pump out a ton of bowls, but I don't, I would, I wouldn't even know like how you do it as a pop-up because you know, like I, I've never run a restaurant. I've never worked at a restaurant before. So I guess it kind of, kind of blows my mind that 200 bowls sounds like yeah, a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, it was one of the, actually my smaller pop-ups. Well, smaller, it all depends because I made enough for 350 uh-huh. people. Um, just be, just for, just in case. Uh-huh. Um, but the main thing is I just, I, ha- I was lucky to have a lot of volunteers. So um, there's three people working the soup noodle station. We had um, four people 
doing toppings and then a bunch of servers. Um, and so it went very smoothly, like um, essentially the limiting factor, I think, in making ramen can be, I guess, the noodles, mm-hmm. at least in that fast paced setting, because the noodles will always take, I mean, they can take 45 seconds to maybe two minutes, depending mm-hmm. on the thickness. But um, depending on your pot size, you only have maybe you can only do five at a time or mm-hmm. um, so I think it's just more about optimizing processes and kind of getting staff or people to help out that um, you can like figure out what their strengths are and what they're comfortable doing. Because uh, at most of my pop-ups, usually I was the one manning the noodle station. Yeah, that makes sense. Just because, yeah, just because um, I guess that's kind of like the first line of defense. Like when someone says uh, two bowls of ramen, I need to know that I need to drop two, two noodles. Yeah. And um, part of it is they're also scared that when you sh- um, shake the baskets and dump them out, yeah, like they might drop the noodles. Cause I grab five baskets at once. So <laughs> some people aren't comfortable. They might, they're more comfortable grabbing just one. And then instead of just tipping the basket over, they want, would want to use chopsticks to dig it out. Uh-huh. So, um, so luckily I had people who were more, um, I guess had more courage this time. So I didn't have to sit at the noodle station. I got to get more experience just doing toppings and kind of looking at QA. Oh, nice. Yeah, I would, I would, I would assume that like the noodles are like the, you know, the one thing that you could kind of mess up to, you know, if you overcook them or undercook them kind of needs to be like, you have a very small variance of time that you need to take them out and drain them and stuff. So it makes right. sense and that you're there. Yeah, and we actually had, a, well, I was at the noodle station initially because we had a problem. I have this huge noodle pot where I can actually um, put in five baskets at once. Oh, wow. But because it was so big and had a large quantity of water, mm-hmm. um, the stoves that we were using didn't have enough firepower to oh. keep it boiling. And so, um, yeah, I was just trying to figure out, like, what's the best way to do it? And because um, it wasn't at a rolling boil, the outside was cooked but the inside was very gummy and oh. um flowery which is my biggest pet peeve I've, yeah if i have um like a grainy noodle that's undercooked inside then i can't even finish the bowl <laughs> like overcooked I'll, I'll i'll eat it i i understand but undercooked just i'd send it back or not finish it at all yeah ah, that's so crazy it's my that's on my things to do so great to hear the experience so um, if you come come out to California, you can do pop up here. Oh yeah, don't invite me because I I flew up to Oahu just to to meet up with Mark Hoshi. <laughs> so you tell me that I'm gonna be on the plane to Sacramento. Okay, so um, Craig Bruce, this is kind of I thought this is kind of a really interesting question because it's kind of like a philosophical question, so to speak. So Craig Bruce asks, what are some obvious signs that a ramen shop in America is using pre made soups or extracts? And if the second part of that question is, if we the consumer can't distinguish the real from pre-made, does it really matter? Yeah. So I think, um, the first question, I feel like it's kind of a sixth sense that you develop. Um, and just eating a lot of ramen places that make ramen from concentrate versus like homemade ramen. You can kind of, there's this quality to it because, um, concentrate it's reduced. It kind of loses its fresh, vibrant, flavors so it's more muted and and flat um and i mean it, yeah it's kind of uh it's not a more recent uh revelation where i i talked with some like distributors and they said yeah a lot of places at least in my area 
like probably 90% use concentrate. Yeah. And that I was, was like, like oh, um, how about when I was interviewing Mark, that's what he said too. And I was kind of like, are you serious? Like, I didn't know that at all. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, what about that one restaurant? And they were like, they didn't say anything, but they shook their head and said, essentially <laughs> said, no, they don't. And I mean, I understand because, um, at least in America, like rent's probably way more expensive um, than in Japan, the, yeah. because you have to import quality ingredients, mm-hmm. it's going to be expensive. And you can't really have um, people peel like a, a thousand eggs when they could be doing something else. Because, I mean, peeling eggs it can be time consuming. Um, so, I, I mean, I heard some restaurants, they actually buy pre-made eggs and, they, and people can't tell the difference. Um, so, it's it, whatever, if you're having someone cut green onions for like two hours, that's two hours that they could be doing somewhere else. Yeah. Making more money than cutting green onions. That's right. It's true. And so, I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, concentrate is delicious. Like it's very consistent, but it's just not that next level where you want to have like a finer bowl of ramen. Mm-hmm. And I feel and like, so, I mean, you know, the people that actually really care about ramen, they wouldn't want to serve concentrate pre-made stuff anyway. So, yeah. yeah, but I, I mean, I hear some restaurants, they start making everything from scratch, mm-hmm. but then they kind of see their profit margins oh, and they kind of see the benefit of making ramen from concentrate. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it is kind of sad because you go from a ramen restaurant to more of like a topping restaurant because you might, yeah. you only make your toppings. That's if that, cause some people buy pre-made chashu. So, um, I mean, they might just be awesome. making green onions essentially. And maybe eggs. That's true. I guess. I guess that's kind of interesting because, like, like for restaurants, like a lot of the expenses are actually like the front of the house. You know, like the rent for the spaces for people to sit and stuff. And in Japan, they just have like a counter. And so, yeah. I guess maybe that's why they can play cost per unit can be a little bit higher in Japan, maybe. But they're they're selling ramen in Japan for like six bucks. You know, like a really good bowl of ramen is like six bucks, seven bucks. So, yeah, I, I guess the cost of living is also different or Mm -hmm. how much they have to pay their employees because i know at least like in san francisco they might have to pay their employees like 16 dollars an hour yeah that's true which is way above minimum wage Mm -hmm. and so you still you might have to cut those corners or you charge 20 dollars per bowl of ramen yeah that's kind of a lot (laughs) what's the what's the average price in your area for like a restaurant bowl of ramen um for i guess most of them are concentrate so Mm -hmm. if it's concentrate you can kind of tell it's between like the ten to twelve dollar range, I see. Um, the places that make it from scratch, you'll probably pay more, like fifteen, sixteen dollars. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, we don't even have but, we yeah. don't even have a ramen shop on my island, so I wouldn't even know. <laughs> it's very yeah. very unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. All right, so I got some rapid fire questions. These are like just they're not really rapid fire. You don't have to answer them quickly. You can if you want to, but they're just kind of random questions that I didn't feel like fit into. Um, the other categories that I had. So, sure. David, I don't know how to say his last name. Drintees, Drintees. Some. I'm sorry, David. Not well. Both Davids, I guess. <laughs> what What is your go to method for making a quick ramen? So, at times you don't want to spend, you know, the hours it takes to boil bones and things. What do you do? Yeah. So, I guess if you if you want to make ramen, there's no shortcut in time. Um, unfortunately, I think it's more about time management. So whenever I make ramen, I spread it over three days. Cause I mean, I work a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. So 
I get home, um, I might make stock one day and just have enough for um, a f- several days. And then mm-hmm. the next day, I'm, or next day I might marinate my eggs. And then the third day, I just chop up the toppings. And that's when I actually serve a bowl of ramen. So I think if you are good at um, planning, you can uh, you can always just have something on hand. So I have frozen stock in my freezer. So if I want to make ramen, I just pull that out and then cut up some toppings or make something very quick. I see. That's actually pretty good. I have frozen stock too. Like how, how long do you keep it frozen? Like I, I've never tried to see how long it lasts in there. Cause it usually goes before in a month or whatever, but yeah, I, I think they say, um, you want to use it within six months. Okay. And I guess, um, I mean, you can probably, it's probably indefinite, but, um, you start to get off flavors depending yeah. on what you have in your freezer. Oh, I guess true. Cool. Okay. Chrome coconut asks, what are your thoughts on using vinegars in ramen? I think it is very useful. Um, there's always like, you always want to add some sort of acid to food in general, just to brighten up the flavors. Um, and I guess it wasn't recently until I started adding some vinegar. Um, so in my recent show, you, I added apple cider vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I'm still kind of figuring out the amount and the, the effect. Did you add it to the tare or to the soup itself, or how did you use it? Uh, the tare. Oh, okay. Yeah, because cool. um, pretty much you want the soup to kind of be pure by itself, yeah. and any like seasoning components you add at the last minute just because um, some are more volatile than others. So mm-hmm. if you heat up over a long period of time, you might lose some of the complex flavors. Yeah, there's so much there is so much science that goes into making the soup. I never realized it till I started going down the rabbit hole. But it's like, you know, the right. chemical decomposition of the starches in the in the aromatics and things like that. So you have to hit them, get them in at a certain time and things. And right. you can't just throw everything in it. Like, you know, like you see a lot of like American stock recipes where they're just like put everything in the pot and boil it for six hours. You know, it's not anything like that for ramen. It's a lot yeah, of yeah, exactly. Yeah. So ramen addict asks. Do you think America is ready for gyokai? And I, I'm assuming he's talking about gyokai tonkotsu ramen. Uh, um, I want to say no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I've had a recent experience where um, a new shop popped up in uh, my my town, and um, they served a tonkotsu gyokai ramen. Mm-hmm. And one of the rest, or one of the um, Yelp reviewers, gave it a one star and said. Fish and pork do not go together. Wow. And um, I mean, little do they know, like, I most pork ramen will have some, maybe some sort of fishy component to it. Uh, I think just people aren't used to the, I guess, the initial impact of mm-hmm. fish. Yeah. And so um, I think if you can do it right, you can convince people because there's some uh, places where it's super popular. I think that. But maybe it's more in it's more receptive because that place was is in LA. It's mm. uh, Sujita, so oh, they okay. have a very fishy, um, porky broth. But um, because maybe LA is more, I guess they're more open to uh, different cuisines. Maybe that's why it's more receptive there. Oh, interesting. That actually makes sense. Like I made, um, it wasn't like a thick. It was a pretty thin tonkotsu gyokai. Like I used. I had like a gyokai soup that I mixed in with a ton- light tonkotsu and my wife didn't like it. I thought it was awesome, but my wife's like, this is not very good, you know? And I, it makes sense yeah. now you think they, 
people aren't ready for the fish. You know, when they think about if they're thinking about Tonkotsu ramen, they're not ready for the fish in their face. Yeah, I think if it's done like perfectly, mm-hmm. then people won't really care because it's where when you can distinctly tell different flavors, uh-huh. that's when like oh it's, it's fishy i don't like it but if it's more like a subtle smoky fish flavor and like they're kind of always guessing on um what flavor they're tasting at that moment then that's uh, kind of it's easier it's more palatable i see like kind of like when people add anchovies into pasta like where you can't really taste it but it's there you know the layer of flavor right, right exactly i see yeah and in hawaii people eat a lot of fish so it's kind of i kind of found that kind of weird that she didn't like it but Oh, that's 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 a good, good uh, insight. So, like, because people on the mainland don't really eat too much fish generally, right? Like, the, I, I can imagine the more inland you go, the less fish access you have to fresh fish. So, yeah. So, like, I mean, living in California, like, we're a coastal state. Uh-huh. So, I mean, we will have. I mean, people like pokey and sushi okay. and things like that. But I, I think um, the I, when you have like f- fresh fish like that, you don't really get that really fishy flavor, but when you cook fish or when you overcook certain fishes, mm-hmm. it can get really intense and kind of off-putting. Oh, yeah, that's kind of like, I'm getting off topic here, but like, I, we, I remember when I found out that tilapia was very popular on the mainland because in Hawaii, tilapia is considered like this gross fish that you never eat. But it's, I found yeah. out in college that people in the mainland love it, but I think it's because it doesn't have a strong fishy taste or when you cook it, it doesn't uh, have yeah. a strong fishy taste. And it's like, that's the exact opposite of what people in Hawaii tend to eat, like really strong right. fishing taste kind of fish. So that's yeah. really cool. Oh, yeah. So that's a really good insight. So now I know I'm not going to make any gyokais to serve to anybody <laughs> in, the, in the near future. All right. So we're getting kind of close to the end. We kind of went almost an hour here. We have, I saved the best question for last. I think it's the, the most suiting question, suitable question for the end. So Hela Ramen, who is... Ramen all he's a ramen all star like on social media and stuff. He asks, "What are your plans for ramen, and do you eventually want to open your own shop one day?" Yeah, so I guess um, I do not want to open my shop someday. <laughs> I, I guess uh, the past few years have been kind of an experiment huh. because I think people default and think if you are doing something that you love, why not make it like your full time job? Yeah. And so I slowly eased into it as like, okay, first I'll figure out how to do this pop-up thing, make connections. And um, when I started doing these pop-ups, I kind of lost the passion for ramen. Um, and part of it was just, I'm always, I guess I'm, you concentrate on just making one bowl really good and consistent and you get lost in, um, I guess, the details. And also restaurant is, the restaurant industry is very difficult. Um, I think people don't really realize that. So um, I think it's it's not something that appeals to me right now because I, I enjoy just making at home and like to be creative and come up with funky um, recipes. And I think what I want to do moving forward is actually, I guess, change, try and change the landscape of American or ramen in America because people don't really they only know tonkotsu ramen and I want to mm-hmm. kind of educate people and let them know there's other types of ramen. There's shio ramen, shoyu ramen, like you can try these other things. And so um, I always tell myself I want to do a YouTube channel and I have a, some footage that is sitting on my hard drive. But um, my ultimate goal is to just share recipes and create a book 
on ramen. So it's not just like a basic recipe book where you say, boil, boil these bones for six hours. It's more like, why do you boil it for six hours? Why do you do it at this temperature? And I think um, essentially just teaching people how to become a good ramen cook, I guess, mm-hmm. like good habits to have. And um, I think if if people have more access to those materials, hopefully there'll be like a shift in the ramen landscape. That's really cool. Yeah, I think I think the demand is definitely there. Like of what I've seen just in the year and a half or two years that I've been doing this, like, and since I started Instagram, just like all the people that have come out of the woodwork, like, hey, I make ramen too in Nicaragua. <laughs> you know, like yeah. comments like that, like, wow. So I think it, I think if you did the book, I think that'll be a great thing for everybody because that's definitely needed. You know, cool. Yeah. So I think that's about it for me. Like, do you have anything else that you wanted to add, or you know, uh, I don't have any other questions from the audience, or so. And I, um, yeah, I mean, I guess one question is always, well, um, people ask like, how can they improve their craft? Uh-huh. I, and I, I think there's, well, I feel like in some hobbies they always say there's no wrong way to do this; just get started. Mm-hmm. Um, there is wrong ways to make ramen. So <laughs> <laughs> I think if you, uh, if you do the research, put in the research and learn like at least the f- five components of ramen, you're off to a good start. And yeah, from there you can make good ramen. Um, cause for the longest time I didn't know what ta- tare was and uh-huh. I just kind of, um, threw everything in one pot and that really made me make inferior ramen. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you understand, the five components, um, noodles, tare, oil, toppings, and, oh, soup, then you will um, be on your way to make good ramen at home. Cool, cool. Hey, how about we do this? How about you ask the audience a question and we'll see what they say, if you have a question. Oh, <laughs> uh, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> Well, you can just ask them, like, what's your favorite color or something like that, you know? Or what's your favorite kind uh, of ramen or, you know? I'm going to steal this from uh, Yakitori Guy. Okay. Uh, he he asked me, do I like uh, Marichan or Nisen ramen better? <laughs> nice. Though. And and to answer that, I mean, I like um, Nisen ramen for their cup of noodles uh-huh. and Marichan for their, um, I guess, I don't know what's called, their top ramen. Their much ramen you, Yeah, the brick that you make in a pot. <laughs> okay so so if everybody out there is listening what do you like better what is it not maruchan or or nissen instant ramen thanks so much david this has been awesome you know i learned a lot thank you it's an honor yeah so thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you guys all in the next episode i hope you enjoyed this conversation with david as much as i did i was a little nervous to be honest when i was interviewing him because it's nichijou ramen man I definitely want to have David back on the show, and I hope we can meet up one day in the future to make and uh, eat some ramen together. Please give him a follow-up on Instagram. It's at nichijou.ramen, N-I-C-H-I-J-O-U dot ramen. Come on, you guys know how to spell ramen. Thanks to everybody who asked questions for the show, too. Um, there were some really great ones in there. If you want to ask questions of future guests, you can follow me on Instagram, at wayoframen. I usually post uh, a day in advance when I'm having a guest on, and you can submit your questions there. Also, if you're interested in learning how to make ramen, you can check out my YouTube channel. Just search for The Way of Ramen. I post a video every week on what I'm currently working on and trying out. I'm not an expert, but I'm always posting what I'm learning. So, all right, that's it for this one. See you guys all in the next episode.